coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. I left the company and started my business January 2012. I had no clients, no money raised. I mean, I basically took out my 401k and started my business. And so you, you um, do you do it just like us. <laughs> <laughs> they hired a woman to, you know, develop all these cool recipes on how to make cupcakes, but you know, turn them into unicorns and fairies and all these cr- you know, crazy things. So it was sort of an unusual cookbook because it wasn't just shooting spaghetti in front of a window. It was like, <laughs> yeah. it was a big production. We had a model and she was pouring supposedly, you know, Bacardi through this like ice luge thing that they built, but right. we actually used water because, you know, to just be dumping all this, <laughs> right. you know, you're, you're waiting. Good idea. How about ketchup on a hot dog? Yes. Ah, dill relish on it too. All right, this interview's over. I'm out. (laughs) Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby, and I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button, and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, our featured guest is Kristen Hess from The Artful Gourmet. Kristen is a trained chef, recipe creator, food stylist, and food photographer. After Kristen, it's time to eat a healthy, delicious lunch at Greenstock. We We have have a great great show, show, so so stick around. Hey foodies, do you know about the Zest podcast? If you're listening to us, you should be listening to them too. They're part of the Tampa NPR station, WUSF 89.7. On The Zest, you'll learn new recipes, baking tips, and barbecue secrets. You'll hear about what's ripe, what's growing, and what's in season. The Zest podcast is hosted by Robin Sussingham, an award-winning reporter and producer who's also an avid home cook and baker. Robin's a native Floridian and has been searching out flavors and the fascinating stories behind them from Key West to Pensacola. Learning to care for a sourdough starter and learning to bake sourdough breads really speaks to people in a very deep way. It's part of our collective history and we're getting back to our roots and our self-sufficiency. Just like us, the Zest podcast has interviews with chefs and restaurateurs and talks about food and recipes covering the Tampa Bay area and throughout Florida. It's what we listen to when we're not doing our own show. Check out the Zest podcast at thezestpodcast.com. St. Pete is all about local, and this year we celebrate a local legend's 25th anniversary. Roland Oates Market and Cafe was founded in July of 94 by Bert Swain and Larry Schwartz. 
From the beginning, Roland Oats has made a commitment to provide St. Pete customers with the finest quality organic whole foods, nutritional supplements, and body care products at the most reasonable prices possible. And now they have a South Tampa location too. We go there for many items, but they are the only place that we go to buy our raw probiotics and other supplements. They have the best organic whole food selection in town, and on the flip side of that, they also offer a fantastic selection of wines and an unparalleled selection of local craft beer. Rollin' Oats has a cafe, open daily, which offers delicious sandwiches, burgers, soups, salads, bowls, wraps, entrees, and fresh-made smoothies along with a variety of prepared and packaged take-home meals located in the market itself. Do you pride yourself with supporting local businesses? Well, put your money where your mouth is and get on into Rollin' Oats today. Rollin' Oats St. Pete is located at 2842 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Street North, and in South Tampa, you'll find them at 1021 North McDill Avenue. Check them out on the web at rollinoats.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N oats.com. And Rollin' Notes offers online ordering with curbside pickup. Please welcome St. Pete's and New York's Queen of Culinary from the Artful Gourmet, Kristen Hess. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. Glad to be here. I was trying to make up a fitting title for you as your credentials are a mile long and you've really gone all in on food. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, I am like the food uh, supernova, <laughs> doing lots of different things, yeah. So yeah, so just so everyone knows, I made up Queen of Culinary title. I love it, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so here, I'm going to rattle off some of your credentials, and it's going to sound a little long. This is maybe half of it, I think. <laughs> Food and wine pairing at the, these are your studies include food and wine pairing at the International Culinary Center, both culinary arts and food styling at the Institute of Culinary Education, food writing at Gotham Writers Workshop, professional food writing at Parsons School of Design, photography at International Center of Photography, photography at the Brian Peterson School of Photography, graphic design at SUNY Buffalo State College, Bachelor of Fine Arts at University of South Carolina, and Master of Arts in Advertising at RMIT University. How long did all that take you? My goodness. I mean, this has been, yeah, probably the past 30 years. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, obviously I, I did my undergraduate degree um, in graphic design. I started at Buffalo and finished at the University of South Carolina. And then, I, and we can go into however you want to talk about everything. But then I, I moved to Atlanta after college. I was doing graphic design for quite a while. I worked at the Home Depot and some other freelance clients. And um, then I, in 2004, moved to Melbourne, Australia. And that's where I did my master's degree. Yeah. I mean, originally I thought about doing it online or maybe just go for a semester. And, you know, at the time I really, I was doing graphic design and freelancing and having a great career, but I really wanted to learn like the business and strategy side of advertising. So I thought about doing, you know, an MBA in marketing or whatever, but just, I just found this program online and it was really intriguing. And I thought, wow, if I could actually travel and live in another country and study too, why not? So I yeah. and I got accepted and I packed up all my things. Well, I only brought a few things with me and then I threw everything in storage and moved to Melbourne in 2004 and my degree was three semesters. 
So, you know, really I was over there learning like marketing strategy and client management, some creative, you know, basically everything advertising that you could think of. And when I was there, I did my internship at McCann Erickson in uh, Melbourne and worked on the Maybelline Paris account, L'Oreal Paris. And then I got a freelance job at Y&R um, on a census account over there, which has nothing to do with food. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so then I started having conversations because I really wanted to live in New York City. So I was talking to the Y&R team about working on their Colgate account. And um, I had plans to move to New York City that whole time. Um, so I did, you know, my visa was ending. I'm like, I really want to be in New York. Um, so I moved to New York City. And um, I didn't actually end up getting a job at YNR because they wanted to move me to Miami. I'm like, no, I want to be in New York. So um, long story short, I ended up getting a job with a small agency. Then I worked at Interbrand, which is a branding design firm. Worked with J. Walter Thompson. Um, Domino's Pizza was kind of my first food flirt. And back in 2007, that's actually how I got into the whole food thing, because I started taking cooking classes at the Institute of Culinary Education cool. just for fun. So it was, right. oh, I want to do an Italian class or learn how to make sushi or do a taco class. <laughs> so it was really just for fun on the side. And um, this was pre, you know, like blogs were just starting to right, happen right. around 2007. So I was working full time um, at JWT and um, throwing around ideas for a blog, but I didn't really actually start my blog officially until 2010. It was that September. Um, and that is when I really started taking like food writing and food styling. And I took a food styling and photography workshop at the Institute of Culinary Education. And it was with Jamie Tiampo, Lori Noop, James Peterson. They're all well-respected food photographers and stylists in the industry. And that's really when I had my aha moment and really just fell in love with styling food and making food beautiful and shooting food. I was like, oh my God, you know, I used to do creative. I've worked in advertising. I don't really want to go back to school to be a chef in a restaurant, but right. how can I use my advertising and design background and pair it with food? And this was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. So that was when I really started going to town with all these classes. And I was still doing cooking classes and technique courses and all that. Um, but then I started my blog, The Artful Gourmet, in like October, November of 2010 and never looked back. So, you know, again, I was still working in advertising. I think at that point I moved on to Digitas, which is another big agency in New York City. And then I was going to leave to start my freelance business. And I got recruited in by 360i, which is a really cool social media digital agency. And they right. wanted me to mm -hmm. work on craft foods. So I was like, okay, I'll do this. Um, oh, that's cool. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, it was really fun. And we, um, you know, they already had a big, huge corporate website, but we were in charge of redesigning the whole thing doing new food photography, doing videos for craft cheese. And, you know, I actually got to work on like Oscar Mayer and um, Coca-Cola and Adwala and all these other food accounts. So that was really fun. But at the end of the day, like I was there for a year and I'm like, you know, I was doing like creative production and producing and I'm like, I want to be doing the photo shoots and doing the food styling. So mm -hmm. I left the company and started my business January 2012. I had no clients, 
no money raised. I mean, I basically took out my 401k and started my business. And so you, you um, do you do it just like us. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like just grassroots from the ground up. Like, here we go. How do I do this? Um, you know, the good news is by 2012, I already had, you know, a fairly good social media following and my blog and all of that. And yeah, I really just started networking and going to conferences. I joined the um, International Association of Culinary Professionals, IAC, mm -hmm. which I'm sure you guys have heard of. Yes. And um, really met a lot of cool people there. Um, I got, you know, luckily two cookbook shoots my first year in. Nice. Yeah. And one of them was with HarperCollins for the Cupcake Pinkalicious Cupcake book, which was really cool. How many hours in total goes into uh, photos for a cookbook? Well, this was the, the Cupcake Cookbook was six day shoot. And I was doing the actual photography. I hired um, a girl, Allison Sullivan, who she is a food stylist, but she specializes in like, you know, candy and con confectionery, right, right. building, you know, like Christmas villages out of candy. <laughs> like, this is basically what we were tasked with because it's a children's right. book based on this little girl that loves the color pink and loves cupcakes. So they hired a woman to, you know, develop all these cool recipes on how to make cupcakes, but you know, turn them into unicorns and fairies and all these, you know, crazy things. So it was sort of an unusual cookbook because it wasn't just shooting spaghetti in front of a window. It was like yeah. full on theatrical sets we were building out of, you know, coconut and grass. And so does the client, in that case, does the client have someone there that is approving the photos? Yes. Uh, in that sense, that was a big shoot because we had um, the editors and art directors from HarperCollins who were responsible for publishing the book. We had the author who, um, you know, she was amazing and she was there to make sure that like everything that we were creating looked like her illustrations in her book. So she right. approved. And then on top of that, there was actually an intermediary Stonesong Press crew um, who were basically like the book agents, you know what I mean? So there right. we had a, and then I hired like two assistants to do the photography. I hired a food stylist. She had an assistant and we had my friend Lori doing all the props and shooting in her studio. So that was like full on, like, wow, big photo shoot. Um, but they're not always that big. You know, I, um, my other photo shoot that I did, the cookbook was for Gary Null, which is a, he's a big, um, like health food, vegan, celebrity chef slash store owner in New York and an activist as well. And he has a big following. Um, so we did a vegan cookbook for him shooting in his store because he has a um, health food store on the Upper West Side and a kitchen downstairs where his chefs make the food for the store. So they hired a chef and me, no assistance, and we had 150 recipes to do. So Wow. Yeah. And that took probably five or six weeks. And we went in every day from like two to eight. We couldn't do it all day long because they had to have the store functioning. And we were actually shooting in their basement, which was crazy. Um, so I right. bought, you know, all my props and my lights and the chef was in there pulling things from the store. But, you know, so I, I, every project's different. Right. That's the beauty of it. And that's what I love about doing freelance, you know, because sometimes I can be doing like, for example, recipe development, I have a client, Steakhouse Elite, he sells like 
beautiful Angus beef burgers and Kobe beef. He's based out of um, Oregon and sells his burgers at the Yankee Stadium and in Publix and Wegmans. Yeah, they're in Publix. We buy those. Yeah, <laughs> those are the ones yeah. we make. Yeah, he's my client. So, you know, he found me online. I don't know. I was actually down here in Florida about a year ago for a year. And, uh, you know, so he'll he'll come to me and say, okay, let's do a series of recipes for the new year. Like we're actually going to be doing some new ones for next year. Right. So, you know, it's actually just me and him. And it's like, okay, why don't we do some comfort food? Why don't we do some game day food? Let's do some healthy, you know, keto, low carb type food, lattice wraps and things like that. So we'll brainstorm ideas together, either on the phone or through email. I'll actually write the recipe and then buy the food, cook the recipes, style it, shoot it, do everything in my apartment, in my little studio and send him the photos virtually. And We've never actually met in person. So, <laughs> so it's kind of crazy, but you know, I do have clients like that, which is, you know, right. you do the internet and digital photography, um, being able to get things, you know, approved like that through phones and internet and email. I, you know, I did another shoot this um, summer with a um, PR company that represented a potato brand and same thing. They, because of the COVID thing, they were going to use a studio in New York and, um, she and I had done a shoot together for California almonds about five years ago. And she's like, do you have the ability to do this remotely? I'm like, absolutely. So yeah, I ended up doing it just me and my sister. Like they, <laughs> they did the recipes from the, you know, the chef that represented the potato brand and uh, potato wonder is the name of the website. You know, I basically took over the kitchen and cooked for three days straight and shot it and styled it and sent her everything virtually. So you know, every, like I said, every project is different, but um, right. I love food. I love making food beautiful. I love to cook, um, you know, so it really just all sort of fell into place. I mean, it's taken me 10 years to kind of get to where I am now, where people come to me and, you know, of course, right. you know, you're always out there hustling and looking for a new business and reaching out to people. And, um, you know, I was in New York City for 13 years and I just moved back to St. Pete in October and, um you know, working with some ad agencies in Tampa and a production company. So are you originally from St. Pete, Kristen? No, uh, no. L long story. I'm originally from upstate New York, from Rochester. Uh -huh. And my I know you mentioned Buffalo, so I figured upstate yes, New York. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, my whole family's from Buffalo. I was born in Buffalo, but um, grew up in Rochester. My dad worked at Xerox for 45 years as a environmental engineer. And um, but yeah, so I went to school in Buffalo my first two years ended up down at University of South Carolina my last year and a half. Then I moved to Atlanta, then Australia, then New York. Right. The reason I moved to St. Pete in 2018 was I was actually dating someone. Ah. We won't mention names, but I was. <laughs> and he was from here and we used to come visit a lot. And I just fell in love with St. Pete. I absolutely love this town. It's great, yeah. great city, right? We, we hear that a lot. We do. It's even from ourselves. Amazing. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm a beach girl and I struggle because I still, I love New York City and um, I just don't know if I want to be there right now. Not with what's going on. Right. Yeah, unfortunately. Same, same here. We love New York, but yeah. not, not going right now. I, back in April, I remember saying to Kevin, I'm like, let's book a trip to New York in November. Thank God we did not do that. I know. I, <laughs> I was up there in September for two separate shoots. And um, the whole city is like kind of a ghost town. And it's sort of 
just crazy. You know, every, you know, with everything going on, election year, right. COVID, right. the protest, I mean, it was just, it's kind of nuts. I mean, it's probably a great time to move because the apartments are cheap, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I really try to figure out a way how to officially be a snowbird, you know, because my family's still in upstate. I do have a lot of friends in New York City still. And, you know, I'll go up there if somebody has a shoot, but then there's this whole thing with, okay, we got to quarantine now for three days and get a test and all that. So, right. So yeah, you know, I'm going to go home for the holidays and, and I go up there for work as I can, but I really love it here. And I see myself here long-term and, you know, I'd love to retire here and all that good stuff. So yeah. So That's awesome. So when we were corresponding, you said that uh, you knew Carrie Maletto. So yes. have you been on HSN yourself? Actually, I've not been on HSN, but I've done food styling for them when they were open back in 20... Oh, right. They're still, they're still have the studios closed? I, you know, I think they have like a couple people there and right. you know, I think they're just not really shooting full shows there. So they have a team of like freelance food stylists and I worked with a couple girls on some shoots well, not shoots, TV shows, uh, back in like 2018, 2019. But um, I met Carrie actually through a, my friend Gia, who's not related to food or anything. But she was good friends with Carrie because she was a producer at HSN. And she's like, you need to meet my friend Carrie. And I think you guys would hit it off. And so Carrie and I, yeah, we just became really good friends. You know, like I never actually worked with her on anything, but we were always like kind of connected with the whole food thing. So, um, you know, she's in Atlanta, as you know, and right, right. funny enough, um, she had to move out of her apartment because she wasn't coming here for work anymore. Right. right. She told us that. Yeah, yeah. She talked about that on the podcast. So, yeah. Guess who's living there. Oh, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so I, funny. I know I was up in New York and I was thinking about coming back and she's like, you know what? I have a great opportunity because I want to, you know, obviously get out of this lease and I don't want to be charged for it and you're wanting to move. So it actually worked out good. So I'm here through July. Um, it's a cute little studio. It's right downtown next to the nice. stadium. Uh, I'm probably going to look for a, a, a bigger place. I mean, I want to actually like live in like one of those cute little bungalows in the historic Northeast. <laughs> I know a realtor if you need one. Yeah, I know a really good realtor named Lori Brown over here. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, Kristen, we're going to take a, a quick break. Okay. Get a word from our sponsors. And then when we come back, I have some questions for you regarding food styling okay. and also some food debate things to want right. to get your position on. We'll be right back in two minutes. Hey, Lori, have you ever been to Noble Crust? I have. What do you like there? Pork belly, pimento cheese, and fried green tomatoes are my favorite. Oh yeah, I love that one too. They actually call it the FGBLT. It's fried green tomatoes, pork belly glazed with a Tabasco honey sauce and pimento cheese. Mm -hmm. And it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. And I think they should actually call it the OMG. Yeah, you've said that before. The chicken marsala is really good too. It has chicken and chicken sausage, criminy mushrooms, and four cheese grits. It's so delicious. I love that they mix classics from the American Deep South and Italy. Noble Crust is famous for their fried chicken. I love it. Yeah, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. When we do a best eggplant parm list, it'll definitely be on there. Yes, it will. Speaking of lists, Noble Crust made six of them recently. Best Italian, Best Casual Dining, Best Pizza, Best Bloody Marys, Best Meatballs, and 
Believe it or not, best salads. Ooh, ooh, can I tell you another one of my favorite items? Yeah. The spaghetti and meatballs. It's oh, so good. Man, you're not kidding. You know what? They have a brunch on Saturdays and Sundays starting at 10.30, which I love. And the deviled eggs are to die for. Let's go to Noble Crust right now. I'm in. Let's do it. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number no. 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number no. 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number no. 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. We are back! We are back! And we are back with Kristen Hess from the Artful Gourmet. And now the Artful Gourmet, that's your food blog, which you can find all kinds of photography, recipes, all kinds of stuff. But you also, the Artful Gourmet is also your service business that offers food styling, food photography, recipe development. And you've done stuff for local and national food and beverage brands, uh, restaurants, hospitality, also food writing. You also offer that. And here, let me just, let me drop some names for you, brag, brag on you a little bit. Okay. Here, and this is, I think maybe one tenth of the client list. <laughs> Baskin Robbins, Kraft Foods, Publix, Cholula, Chipotle, Unilever with the Noor and Hellman's brands, PDQ, Bacardi, Stoli, KitchenAid, Nespresso, and Colavita. And then a few local restaurants, Frescoes, The Columbia, and Frenchies. Yes. Nice. And so, and also if somebody already has a photographer, you can still do the styling. It doesn't have to, like, they don't have to have you do the photos if they have a preferred photographer. Of course you can do both as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, like for um, TV commercials and video, I don't actually shoot those. I, mm -hmm style for those. Um, like if you go to my portfolio website, which is www.kristenhess.com, um, there's a menu up at the top and um, I think it's the motion tab. There's a bunch of cool um, videos and TV commercials that I just did the food styling for. And it was working with other um, production companies. So right. and Captain Morgan and Bacardi, all those videos were actually shot by a production company and they hired me to be the food or cocktail stylist for that video. So I That's so cool. How cool is that? Yeah. Really cool. Super fun. Yeah. I mean, I love doing those big TV things. I was actually just up in New York. Nathan's Hot Dogs did mm -hmm. a series nice. of fun videos with Andy Cohen, who I'm sure you know. Um, and they set up this little lemonade stand with hot dogs uh -huh. and pretzel dogs and they were all these funny little skits that they're going to be putting all over their website and social media and we 
shot out at this big house in the Hamptons. And there was a huge crew of people. We were all wearing masks and getting our temperatures done, of course. But, you know, running around cooking hot dogs and running around all day doing the toppings and working with it. I love doing TV and video so much. Um, but, you know, those come around a few times a year and they're wonderful. But, um, you know, that's just one of the things. But yes, of course, if there's a photographer and they just need a food stylist, I can absolutely do that too. Yeah. So on food styling, what are a few of the hardest foods to style and why? First that comes to mind are like stew and brown foods. Um, simply because it's, you know, curry, <laughs> uh, because they're in, it's a big pile of mush, right? Right, uh, right. Meat or chicken, maybe some rice and vegetables, and it's this big pot of soupy stew, which is delicious. But those are hard to do. And, you know, basically my tricks that I learned were first off, you know, when you're doing a soup or even a salad or a stew, something like that in a bowl, um, putting something underneath, like even like an upside down little bowl will help bring up some of those ingredients, lift them up out of the stew because like the color, they, the colored ingredients. Yeah, absolutely. Like the carrots and the potatoes. And yes. The, right. Um, and you wipe them off a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to have all that soupy stew and, and brown just as brown. So you want to make sure you have a lot of pretty colors in there to set off the brown or the beige or the yellow or whatever that curry is. Right. Um, you know, topping it off with green onions and parsley and things like that. And, um, yeah, you know, lifting those pieces out of the soup and the stew to give it some texture and, um, it's not just a big soupy mess. So that's probably one of the hardest ones. Right. Right. Second would probably be ice cream. Right. Cause it melts. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely melts. Quick, take a picture. Absolutely. Like for example, you know, the basket Robin shoot, we, this was up in Atlanta with a, a company called 22 squared and it was a new vegan ice cream so first of all ice cream is hard enough because it's you know melting and you, you know you've got to get that perfect scoop and the tooth and the little frozen bits and you know they and this was a social shoot so it was a little less perfect it's not like it was going on their packaging but the texture of the ice cream was a little weird it tasted delicious but because there was no actual dairy in it Right. Um, the texture was different. And then it, mm -hmm. you know, when it starts to melt and it freezes again, it was very challenging. I mean, we did end up doing some great shots, um, but it was definitely a little more difficult, especially because of it being vegan and ice cream. You know, you got to use either like super big deep freezers or dry ice or right. spray things on it. You know, it's just, <laughs> I think the most fun and easy things to shoot are like pasta, um, right. pizza, things that don't give you a hard time. You can buy, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So are there any behind the scenes secrets of food styling, maybe such as non food items posing as food? Well, every shoot I've ever done, we've always used real food, but it's definitely manipulated, especially if it's sitting on set for a while. Um, mm -hmm. You know, well, yeah, it's almost like you're a makeup artist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a work of art and things, you know, things die quickly. I, I, when I first started photography, I 
had tungsten lights, which are constant lights, because I didn't know how to do flash and strobe and all of that. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not good. <laughs> and right. Because, you know, the lights are hot and, um, you know, not just ice cream melts, but also fresh herbs melt and things just sitting around, you know, they'll get crusts on them and things like that. So I recommend natural light because it's the prettiest, biggest light. But if you, yes. you know, get into studio strobes, using huge soft boxes or big diffusers to shoot through will give the illusion of natural light, but they're not hot. You know, it's a quick right. strobe and it, you know, you can, you got to learn the techniques and all of that, but yeah. So, you know, there is a way to do that, but you know, getting back to your question in terms of tips and tricks, I mean, my kit, I would say I always have tweezers, spray bottles, paint brushes, you know, like for me, if things start to tear a little bit, you know, we've even put a little bit of Vaseline in there to glue it back together, mm-hmm. <laughs> spraying and brushing oil, you know, and it's just, it's mostly about keeping things fresh. And I'm not going to use the word moist because that's a weird word, but you know what I'm saying? Like fresh and dewy, I guess, like, you know, mm-hmm. spritzing salads and putting a little bit of oil. I mean, we even use like torches and um, charcoal starters for grill marks and searing. You know, you might cook a steak beautifully, but there's still a little bit of a layer of fat. It's not brown. So torching that a little bit, brushing on, what do you call it? It's this brown like gravy starter and you mix it with a little bit of water and kind of brush that on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's more about it's not about making food that people are going to eat, like going to a, a restaurant. It's going to be beautiful, but it doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to taste right. good. Right. It's more about, uh, and, and it depends on the clients. So like I said, like packaging and advertising, they tend to be a little more strict about the way the potatoes need to look or the steak has to look a certain way. Well, well right. If you're if you're doing work for, for an advertisement, uh, that advertising is not cheap. Absolutely. So the food has to look as good as it possibly can. Right, exactly. Exactly. And especially if it's going on their package, you know, that's like permanent. So um, yeah, but you know, I I feel like, I mean, obviously with the the blog whole situation over the past 10 years, I think that people are starting to like that more homey, relaxed look. So it depends on what it's for. I think if it's social media or even for like TV and videos, they don't have to be perfect. It's right. People are use, using utensils in the pictures Absolutely. and stuff like that. Or, you know, they're right. grabbing a plate and picking up a sandwich or forking. Right. Right. You know, when it's action like that, it's you're not zooming in just looking at a photo. It's people and things interacting together or right. food moving. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just, and again, this goes back to advertising, like, understanding who's your client like what is that brand all about what does the brand stand for i usually try and get in immediately with who's the creative director and Mm -hmm. you know obviously the account people and the client are super important as well but uh, really understanding what is the look and feel what is the message kind of understanding those advertising and marketing basics Yeah, every brand has its own tone and style. It does, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they have brand standards, you know. Like when we did the Nathan's shoot up in New York, um, we had to order napkins. And they had to be the exact same color as the green 
and the yellow and the red that's in their logo. You right. know, so mm-hmm. even props are really, really important. You know, is it going to be dark and moody with dark colors and, and metal, or is it going to be light and bright and beachy feel? So I think it's really, you know, as a food stylist, you are an artist. Right. You need to really align with, yeah, the creative tone and people in the brand to understand what they're so, looking so for. So I have a, a general question and then a specific example as well. Okay. So the question is, why are other foods sometimes masquerading as something? Why, why are some foods masquerading as something else? For example, this show's been gone for a while now, but I used to like to watch the, the original Two and a Half Men. And I have the DVDs and watch the behind the scenes stuff. And they, behind the scenes, let you know that, like, usually most scenes in the morning in the kitchen, Charlie is pouring coffee from like a Mr. Coffee Maker type of coffee maker. And they said that that's not coffee in there, it's cola, it's flat cola. A lot of times it has to do with like how see through or the viscosity of it. Like, for example, the Bacardi video that is on my website. Um, it was a holiday video. It was a big production. We had a model and she was pouring supposedly, you know, Bacardi through this like ice luge thing that they built, but right. we actually used water because, you know, to just be dumping all this, <laughs> right. you know, you're, you're wasting Good idea. tons and tons of money. Yeah. You know, or, you know, sometimes for wine, Again, instead of just wasting bottles of wine, we'll do a little drop of food coloring in some water. Um, Coffee, yes, could just be um, that gravy master with water. It could be flat cola. Sometimes we'll add bubbles on the side with like a little bit of dish soap with a drop. (laughs) And it's because it lasts longer on set, you know, like. Things just die. They separate. It, it's, I, I think it's really just more about keeping things consistent. You don't want right. to have shots in the beginning that look one way. And then at the end, the soda's flat or the wine looks weird. So it's more just about... The avocado turned brown. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Which in that case, throw some lime juice and your avocado will stay bright all day long. Um, right. Cool. You know, right. So it's, it's really, again, about preserving the look and feel and the freshness of the food throughout the day. Um, You know, like cereal, a lot of times I've never actually done this, but you know, people use Elmer's glue and then little pieces of cereal on top because it stays, it doesn't move. Right. Right. The milk is going to immediately start degrading the cereal. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mushy and things start falling to the bottom and you can't prop up cereal in milk because it's too thin or there might have a little blue tinge or because it's too light. So yeah, you know there are lots of tips and tricks to keep it. So I, I heard I heard of that one with the the glue for milk a long long time ago. A, a new one that I learned yesterday when I was uh, studying up for this interview was burgers having. Let's see, it says here burgers need a little more attention than just the meat. Getting one to stack up the way the photographer needs it to can be achieved by cardboard and toothpicks strategically placed like hidden scaffolding. Yes. Wow. Yes. And part of the reason is because, you know, especially because your burger, when it's hot and juicy, there's all kinds of grease and blood and juicy things dripping out of it, right? Right. right. So there goes your bun. <laughs> so yeah. 
it's good to let the the beef cool a little bit, brush it with a little oil. But yeah, for sandwiches and burgers, um, especially when you're trying to build like a big, tall monster thing, it's just going to fall apart. So having little toothpicks and even these little like silver pins or little T-pins um, to pin lettuce and tomatoes in certain spots the way you want it. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't even style the whole burger. We're really just styling the front of it. Right, right. You know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, squeezing the mustard in at the end to show it dripping off the edge. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's funny because I, I made, um, I bought these little molds to make like the, I wanted to make an egg McMuffin at home. And one side of it looked terrible, like collapsing and falling apart. And the other side, the other side looked perfect. Yeah. Of course, you know, of course we know which side I took the photo of before I posted yeah. it on Facebook. Exactly. But yeah, so it's definitely safe to say that food styling is way more than just good plating. Absolutely. Yes. It's right. not just slapping a burger on a plate, taking a picture. Right. There's, right. you know, and, a lot more involved to get it to the way, get it to look the way you want. Right. What do you, what do you use for photo editing? Um, I use Lightroom to import my photos from my camera. And actually, sometimes I'll shoot into Lightroom tethered from my camera as I'm shooting, because that way I can actually see the pictures not just on right. the back of my camera, but on the screen. And you can actually make really cool adjustments as you Oh, that's know. cool. Yeah. Like if it's like, okay, all these photos look great, but they could use maybe a tad more contrast or the shadows are a little dark. So you can set that on one photo and apply it to the rest of the photo shoot. You know what I mean? And so it's, there's a lot of cool tools that you can do with Lightroom. Um, so that's sort of while I'm shooting and then right after I'm shooting, you can, you know, go through, do a library, you can um, do minor edits and name files and sort of create this catalog library. But then for final editing, I usually export the raw file, which is like the negative, open those up in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And then Photoshop is really, really great for detailed retouching. So a little dusts of, you know, specks of dust and spots and brightening things up. You know, we really want to mm-hmm. get in there. Photoshop's amazing. Um, yeah, you know, that's the, what I use. The, I feel like, you know, part of learning photography too is learning how to get like the lighting and the color and all that right the first time. So you're not spending hours retouching. Right. I think, you know, it, it's great to clean things up and do basic little edits, but you know, I wouldn't consider myself a professional retoucher. You know, if I really, really had crazy retouching, I might even outsource that because it takes a lot of time. and a lot It does. Of it takes a lot of time. A lot of time and patience. And, um, you know, I'd rather be actually cooking and styling and shooting and getting that part done. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I think Photoshop and Lightroom are super great. Um, and I'm sure... You know, iPhone photography, that's a whole other subject. But, um, you know, there, there are... I think that the new iPhones actually have pretty good cameras. I just pretty awesome. I love. Yeah. yeah, that's all I do is iPhone photography yeah. <laughs> and iPhone editing. Um, <laughs> I feel like you know, for social media, when I'm just shooting things quickly or out and about, like I'm sure you guys are too, like going to restaurants and shooting. But I don't take my big camera with me and big lenses. Right, like, it's just right. heavy and clunky. I I think that the iPhone. Yeah, I just got the new 12 Pro, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I'm about to get that one. And I need to start playing with it because I guess there's all these cool settings for like low light and all this stuff. Yeah, um, right. Portraits and, you know, I think that, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of iPhone apps out there too. I mean, you can it's, 
Yeah, I got I got the 11 Pro recently, and it's the first iPhone I've had where I can actually get a good shot of the moon. Yeah. Where it doesn't just look like a blob. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know what's funny? My first iPhone, I think, was back in 2008 or nine. That was the first one I got. And I was doing a trip to Greece with my girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't afford both a new phone and a new camera. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get the iPhone. Back then, the shots that I took during the day were great. This was like iPhone 3. like Right, iPhone. right. I remember. But there was no flash back then. There was no low light. So all of our night pictures turned out horrible because there was no light. <laughs> like, it's really amazing to me in 12 years, 13 years, how much the iPhone cameras have come Oh, it's, it's, it's incredible. I was just looking back today at photos from back in 2000. Uh, even 10 and 11. And I'm like, Ooh, these don't look good. (laughs) And that's just from from iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have, I have five food debate questions for you. One, two, three, one, two, three, four. No, I'm sorry. I have four food debate questions and then another food question. Okay. So the first one is regarding the salting of pasta water. I I don't know if you've seen a salt, fat, acid, heat. Yes. I love it. I started watching that on Netflix and I want to buy her cookbook. Cool. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've seen it like four times. Yeah, the, <laughs> the book the book is great because in the it tells she tells her whole story from mm-hmm. like how she started. She just like went to, I forget which I forget which restaurant now, but it's a famous restaurant in California, and she just walked in and said, "I need to learn how to do this. And I'll, I'll even I'll just sweep the floors to start and just watch." Yeah, yeah. Who was the French Laundry? Was I it, was it too? Yeah, it probably, it probably I'm was. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's French so, Laundry. So Samine says. You'll know that the water is properly salted for pasta if it tastes like the ocean. And another one, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was there's this famous pasta chef from Italy, and he was interviewed in Bon Appetit earlier this year, and he disagreed with that. He said it should not be that salty. What's your position? I actually agree, and I learned that in culinary school. I mean, I took a lot of Italian cooking classes and a whole, like, 12 week course. And every instructor I had told me the same thing because I mean, you don't have to salt it that much later, but if you don't, there's not really that much flavor to it. And they, you know, I think that if you use kosher salt or sea salt, it gives good flavor. Salt brings flavor out in food. So so you agree with Samin? Yeah, you agree with Samin. I do too, too, since I learned that and that's what we do now. So these next three are are often debated and it's very Usually it's like either uh, they're polarizing. Let's put it that way. Okay. Okay. Pineapple on pizza. I actually like it. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm I'm saying that in an apologetic tone. All right. I I still want to hang out with you anyway. (laughs) I don't like it. You know what? I mean, I don't eat it all the time. It wouldn't be my first choice of pizza. But I think that if it's properly made, like I had one at um, Uno and it had like spicy jalapeno and bacon and some hot honey on there. And it was actually pretty good. So I right. think it depends on who makes it. But smoke, right. smoke a little weed first. It'll be better. <laughs> <laughs> so should chili have beans? Yes. I mean, if it's Texas. I think so too. You know, but I like beans and chili. I think Me too. A I good old chili with onions and beans and ground beans. So yeah, so we agree on that one. However, recently I made chili Colorado, which does not have beans. And Lori's like, why are there no beans? 
definitely because it doesn't go in there. But the problem is he made it too spicy, so I had to add beans just to yeah, eat it. Yeah, we ended up adding beans and tomatoes because <laughs> I made it so it spicy. It was so spicy, you couldn't eat it. Yeah. That's Kevin. And it uses the like beef chuck, right? Instead of the yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's chunks chunks of meat, so it's kind of like, like stew meat. Yeah. How about ketchup on a hot dog? Yes. Ah. Put dill relish on it, too. All right. This interview's over. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I know. I'm an upstate New York Polish German girl. (laughs) You know what? It's interesting. Have you guys ever had a white hot dog? White hot dog? White. Mm. No. Okay. It's really good, and it's only, like, in the Rochester area. Zweigel's is a really awesome brand. And um, it's made out of pork, and there's, like, some seasoning and spices in it. And I know it sounds really strange, but they're really good if they're like super burned on the grill. <laughs> oh so, no, I like hot, I like burnt on the hot. Yeah, dogs. like if there's a little bit of a crunch to it. Um, yeah, it's flavor. To try it, uh, or if you're ever upstate, that's a big thing up there. But all right, you can't cool. find them anywhere else. And I actually haven't eaten one in a long time, but they're pretty good. Okay, so what's the best pizza in New York City, and the best pizza in St. Pete? All right. Well, the best pizza, I think, in New York, I mean, there's so many amazing places, but my favorite that I'm absolutely smitten with is a place called Ruby Rosa in Soho. I think they're on Elizabeth Street mm-hmm. and they're awesome. They're, it's like the, the crust is a little bit thin and crunchy. It's not super fat and doughy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there a million times, but the one I usually get, it's got mini meatballs, pepperoni, onion, and mu- it's almost like a Supreme, but it's got these little mini meatballs. And it's just, there's something about the way they cook it, you know, in their wood-fired oven. And the sauce is delicious. It's not too sweet, not too spicy, just a nice really gooey cheese. Uh, I used to go there a lot of times and just get their meatballs with sauce and a red wine. Like, that's how good their meatballs are. So um, Nice. Nice. That's probably my number one. Yeah. There are so many good ones in New York. Though. Yeah. So <laughs> Bon Appetit did a thing. Um, it's a video on YouTube and it's also one of their podcast episodes. And I think it goes back maybe a year or so ago. And they were going to decide what's the best pizza in New York City. And the criteria was that it has to be offered as a single slice. And it's just... Just cheese. Just cheese and sauce. You could put some... You could add... Uh, what, what do like you call them? Like condiments. Red peppers. Not yeah. not many, just a couple condiments. Like yeah. The red peppers, but so, no cheese. So, But the funny part of the story, and, and this is one of the reasons I love this story, is because a frustration that we have is we put out top 10 lists, like 10 best pizza places in St. Okay. Pete, yeah. for example. And when we do that, we go to all those places and we eat the food. Yeah. But then there are lots of other publications that just create, put out these lists from sitting at their desk, just downloading photos and making right. up a list. Right. So this guy, they had one guy picked out to do this like over a, a week or two. And he somehow he bailed and they grabbed this other guy to do it at Bon Appetit. And he's going on vacation overseas in two days. Right. So he had to do it. He ate 30 slices of pizza in two days. Oh I think it was more like 36 hours because he had to get on the plane and all this yeah. stuff. Wow. Yeah. Th- 30 slices. But they, they chose Scar's Pizza on the Lower East Side is the best. Oh. So we're going to try both of those when, when we can go to New York City again. Okay. I haven't done that. I mean... Joe's Pizza, which is right on. Oh, they mentioned Joe's. 
Joe's is great. If you want like typical New York, right. York, you can get a slice, you can get anything on it or just cheese. I mean, typically New Yorkers just eat cheese, but I love right. pepperoni. I like that. I do too. I like all that stuff. So I usually get pepperoni or sausage or whatever. And yeah, I mean, there's always the red pepper flakes, the garlic powder and right. cheese things. You'll find that in every mm-hmm. parlor in New York. What's the best pizza in St. Pete? It's, I know that's a tough one. It's a tough one for me. <laughs> and um, I mean, I love Bavaro's and I know it's not really New York pizza. It's Well, New we're not York. asking New York. It's okay. It's yeah, it's delicious though. Delicious uh wood fired Neapolitan pizza. I've I've always had a good pizza there. Have you tried um, Fabrica? I have not. That's actually not too far from me. I think it's in that apartment building, right? By the public. It, yeah. it is. Yeah, Hermitage. It's at the, uh, at the if you like yeah. if you like meatballs, go to go to Fabrica. All right. Yeah. yeah. I mean we lo- we love Bavaros we lo- too. We, we do too, yeah. We have if you actually if you Google best pizza in St. Pete or St. Petersburg, we rank number one for that. Yeah. And you'll see our top ten list from twenty nineteen. We didn't get to do one this year, but Bavaros is on it, oh, Fabrica's yeah. on Fabrica, it, uh P- Pizza Box and well, Pizza others. Box won um in our awards show. Oh for, right. for I'll have to try them. Where Oh, you haven't been to Pizza Box? Mm-mm. Oh my goodness, you have to go to Pizza it's Box. It's very unique. There's no other pizza like no, it. No, it's amazing and you need to eat it like right away. It's not okay. a pizza that travels well. So yeah. okay. it's amazing. Awesome. I definitely will. Because that's one thing, you know, being a New York girl, I've mm-hmm. had a hard time finding good New York pizza. I've had good pizza, but not good New York pizza. Well, this isn't New York pizza, but it is in, in a wood-fired oven. It's amazing pizza. They yeah, built just, the oven themselves. It's, it's unique and amazing. And if you look up our top 10 list, there are at least two, definitely two, maybe three that are pretty close to New York pizza too. Okay. Right. I, I definitely will check it out. And also being from upstate Buffalo, New York, the best wings I've had are Three Birds Tavern. The double fried. Yeah, the double nice. fried. They oh, are very good. my gosh. I can't right. even. <laughs> they are on our top 10 best wings yes, list too. they are. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's mention your uh, online presence on the web. It's the, the artfulgourmet.com. On Facebook, there's two, and they both have to start with the also, the Artful Gourmet New York, NYC for New York City, and then the Artful Gourmet. Mm-hmm. And on Instagram, leave out the word the. Yeah. It's Artful Gourmet. Yes. Yeah. Nice. And then also my portfolio, which is um, my commercial work that I was talking about, is www.kristenhess.com. Yes. Right. So that's not a blog. It's just simply my portfolio, but it's got, you know, the videos and TV stuff I was mentioning, right. all my food photos, and then even some of my like lifestyle and people photography, things like that, that I've done as well. Okay, great. Awesome. Awesome. Kristen Hess, thank you so yes, much. Thank you, Kristen. You guys, this has been lovely. I really enjoyed talking to you both. Yeah. We will be right back. Ramen is the ultimate comfort food and Booyah Ramen on the 900 block of Central Avenue is my go-to. It's so freaking good. The broth is like a silky blanket to warm up your mouth, and the hearty proteins, or just mushrooms for vegetarians, it'll have you saying, ooh, mommy, the umami is making my eyes roll back in my head. My favorites are the pork belly and the short rib. Mmm. And then there's the noodles. O-M-G. 
go get the best ramen in St. Pete at Booyah Ramen at 911 Central Avenue in the Edge District of downtown St. Pete. Do ya, Booyah? Tuesday is a busy day for both of us. It is. We have back-to-back things all day. So one of the challenges is staying fueled up, but without eating a big heavy lunch that makes us want to take a nap because we have too much to do. Right. Have to take a nap tomorrow. That's where Greenstock comes in. They are a chef-driven and ingredient-focused salad and wraps, fast casual eatery right in the heart of downtown St. Pete. And they are the sponsor of this segment. They are. And... You know, you know those uh, signs, uh, no shoes, no shirt, no service? Of course. They have another sign at Greenstock. No cans allowed. <laughs> Nothing comes out of a can there. Everything's fresh. And you can see all the ingredients right in the case. The nice bright yellow ears of corn, plump bread, Roma tomatoes. And they even make all their own dressings. And I think there's probably only a few places that can say that. Yes, I agree with that. And what'd you have for lunch today? Today I had my You Inspired Little Green, so the smaller size salad. And in this one, I had romaine. And for a change up, instead of spinach, I did baby kale this time. It was nice and crunchy. It was really good. Um, I included cucumbers, tomatoes, and pickled red onions, beets, peppers, snap peas, and crispy wasabi peas. Those two both gave it a nice, Mm -hmm. awesome crunch. Yeah. Got it tossed, not chopped. And um, used high-end olive oil and red wine vinegar as the dressing. It was delicious. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, they get tastier like every time. They do. I went back to one of my favorites, the spicy miso crunch, because miso hungry. Mm. That has baby arugula, a green stock blend, carrots, cucumber, edamame, shaved Brussels, wasabi peas, and miso ginger dressing. And I added the fresh tuna again, because we've said this many times before. Yeah, it's a tuna salad like you might make for a tuna fish sandwich, but this is like fresh ahi tuna. It's yeah, not but they, out of don't, a they don't put a lot of, of mayonnaise and filler in it, though. Right. It's really fresh tuna. Yeah. It's, it's just very so moist. It's yeah. really good. They, they surprised us today. Oh, yeah. We yeah, little, they included um, we got a little two, gift. two cookies. And I was like, where, where do these cookies come from? Now, of course, and if many of you know, I've been on Weight Watchers. My salad today was only one point. So I had to go look on Weight Watchers to see, if I take a bite of a chocolate chip cookie, what would it be? And luckily, an eighth of a cookie, zero points. So I took a uh-huh. bite, delicious. And then we found out that these cookies are home-baked by none other than Erica Benstock herself. She goes in and makes them in the, uh, the store herself at Greenstock. Yeah, that, actually in the Il Retorno kitchen. Oh, the, in the Il Retorno ne- kitchen. Next door, yep. Got And they also, the same ownership of another newer new place that opened this year is St. Pete Meat and Provisions, which was originally online only with high quality butcher shop type stuff. Right. And now- We had the ribs are so good. Oh, yeah, St. Louis ribs. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now you can actually go to Greenstock and buy the St. Pete Meat and Provisions stuff. And so I was checking out the meats. They had a whole brisket in there. That's like a whole cow yeah, shoulder. 14, 14 pounds. pounds. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. And we're going to try that culotte in there too. I'm yeah. really excited to try that cut. Yeah, because that's, that's a primal cut that we've never tried. Right, exactly. And so check out Greenstock on the 400 block of Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. They are now open for the last month now. Mm-hmm. They've been closed for dining for a long time, but they you can do dine-in now. And they have their longer hours from 10.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Saturday. 
And you can order on their website, which is eatatgreenstock.com. This is Chris Walker, and you're listening to CP Foodies Podcast. Last week, I said we had a review of Anju Korean Gastro Truck, but I was wrong. We actually put out a review of The Wheelhouse, and it is amazing. It got tons of comments from people saying that they love it. And someone got the publishing schedule mixed up. That's what happened. But I won't mention any names. So check out The Wheelhouse review, and also check out Anju Korean review, because we now have that on there too. We reviewed them a couple of years ago when they were a food truck, and now they've taken over the space that used to be M&M Barbecue. And I hear the wings are amazing. So you can find both of those on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Next week on the show, we'll be talking to Shannon O'Malley and Brad Doyle from Brick Street Farms, which has really grown tremendously. And now they also own two more companies, one new one that they started and another local St. Pete food company that they bought. But sorry, no spoilers. You'll have to wait till next week. If you'd like to send us fan mail, hate mail, or if you just have any requests for interviews or restaurant reviews, just send an email to info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Kristen Hess. And thanks to our sponsors. Greenstock. Rolling Oats. The Zest Podcast. Noble Crust. Booyah Ramen. And, and Engine, Engine Number nine. 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. And you, ma'am? How's the food? I think we have a critic. <laughs> I don't think she likes the special sauce, Rick. That's a joke. <laughs> Here we go. Thank you. See, this is what I'm talking about. Turn around, look at that. You see what I mean? It's it's plump, it's juicy, it's three inches thick. Now, look at this sorry, miserable, squashed thing. Can anybody tell me what's wrong with this picture? Anybody? Anybody at all?